Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Please stand by. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the second quarter of fiscal year 2020 earnings conference call for Helios Medical Technologies. At this time, all participants have been placed in a listen-only mode. Please note that this conference call is being recorded and that the recording will be available on the company's website for replay shortly. Before we begin, I would like to remind everyone that our remarks and responses to your questions today may contain forward-looking statements that are based on the current expectations of management, including statements regarding the impact of COVID-19 pandemic on the company's operations, the success of the company's planned studies and submissions, the future commercialization of the PONS treatment, expected future clinical and regulatory timelines, the potential receipt of regulatory clearance of the PONS device in the United States, and projected financial results. These forward-looking statements involve inherent risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those indicated, including those identified in the risk factors section of our most recent annual report on Form 10-K. Such factors may be updated from time to time in our filings with the SEC, which are available on our website. All statements made during this call are as of August 12, 2020. We undertake no obligation to publicly update or revise our forward-looking statements as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise except as required by law. I would now like to turn the call over to Mr. Phil Deschamps, Helios Medical's Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead, sir. Uh, thank you very much, Operator. Uh, welcome, everyone, to Helios Medical's second quarter of 2020 earnings conference call. I'm joined on the call this evening, uh, as uh, per usual, by uh, my partner, Joyce Leviscount, our Chief Financial Officer and Chief Operating Officer. Before we start, let me provide you with a quick agenda for, tomorrow, for today's call. I'll begin by discussing our regulatory strategy in the US and the progress we've made in recent months. Following this discussion, I'll review our second quarter revenue results and update you on our commercial activities in Canada, including a summary of the disruption that we've seen as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Joyce will then discuss uh, our second quarter financial results in detail and expand on the recent progress we've made to secure additional capital and enhance our uh, balance sheet condition. Following Joyce's remarks, I'll conclude by sharing some thoughts on our near-term and longer-term outlook before we open the call for questions. So with that, let's get started with our review of our US regulatory strategy and the progress we've made in recent months. By way of background, during Q1 of this year, we made important strategic decisions to prioritize the pursuit of an indication in multiple sclerosis, or MS, as the pathway for obtaining our first U.S. clearance of the PONS device. This strategic decision was based on the quality of the data that was included in our MS submission package to Health Canada for label expansion that led to its clearance there. Specifically, our Health Canada submission included data from two peer-reviewed clinical trials, which we have outlined in prior calls. And in addition to these two trials, we also generated evidence based on real-world data 
gathered in our validated database in Canada, which showed statistically significant improvements from baseline in functional gait assessment. In aggregate, we believe the existing clinical data and real-world evidence are, uh, are sufficient to demonstrate a favorable risk-benefit profile as required by the de novo regulatory pathway in the U.S. Our decisions to prioritize an indication in MS was also driven by the large patient population that suffers from this disease, which is estimated to be about 1 million individuals in the U.S. alone. Importantly, novel treatments for MS uh, are highlighted as specific interests for the FDA, as MS represents a high unmet medical need. Further, a majority of people who suffer from gait symptoms due to their MS already consume physical therapy to try their to keep their symptoms at bay. Given these important considerations, we believe that pursuing an indication in MS represents our most effective and efficient path to obtain our first US clearance for the PONS device. Now we set out to pursue this regulatory pathway with the goal of submitting a request for de novo classification and clearance in the second half of this year. Beginning in the first quarter, we submitted an application to FDA for breakthrough designation for our PONS device for the treatment of symptoms of MS. And throughout the second quarter, our team worked diligently to prepare the, requ the requisite inputs uh, for meeting this goal. Importantly, on May 12th, we were excited to announce that on May 7th, our PONS device received breakthrough designation, uh, the breakthrough designation we were seeking. As detailed by the FDA, the Breakthrough Device Program is intended for medical devices that provide the potential for more effective treatment of life-threatening or ir irreversibly debilitating diseases and conditions. Its goal is to provide patients and providers with timely access to these devices by speeding up their development, assessment, and review. While it doesn't change the requirements for FDA clearance, it does offer device manufacturers several different program options to interact with the FDA experts to efficiently address important topics, obtain feedback, FDA feedback more quickly, and identify areas of agreement. Uh, device manufacturers can also expect their submission for regulatory clearance uh, to be received to receive a priority review. Building on this accomplishment, we continued to aggressively pursue our U.S. regulatory strategy, and we're pleased to see that our progress on this front was not significantly impacted by COVID-19 pandemic. Last week, we announced the submission of our request for de novo classification and clearance of the PONS device for the treatment of gait deficit due to symptoms from MS to be used as an adjunct to supervised therapeutic exercise programs in patients over 18 years of age. For these patients, our PONS treatment represents a non-drug, non-implantable treatment option with the potential to improve their ability to walk. FDA is currently performing an initial administrative review uh, of the submission, and if found accept acceptable, it will proceed into the substantive review phase. With the achievement of this major milestone of the de novo submission, we've taken an important step forward on the path to expanding our addressable market to include the U.S and bringing our PONS treatment to the aid of patients with gait deficit due to MS symptoms. We certainly look forward uh, to the FDA review of our submission and uh, to providing additional details uh, if, uh, if required on our planned commercial strategy as we prog uh, progress through the year. Now let's turn to our revenue performance uh, for the second quarter. We reported total revenue of $133,000 during the second quarter of 2020 
compared to 518,000 in the prior year period. Our revenue in both periods was driven by sales to neuroplasticity clinics in Canada that have been authorized to provide our PONS treatment. Like many in our industry, our operational and financial results during the second quarter were significantly impacted by the disruption caused by the COVID-19 pandemic and the restrictions that have been enacted to slow its spread. I'll now take a minute to discuss this disruption and its impact in greater detail. As we discussed in our first quarter earnings call, in March, provincial and territorial governments in Canada implemented policies to restrict performance of non-life-saving medical treatments and limit the activities of their citizens. In an effort to comply with these policies, the PONS authorized clinics that provide our treatment began suspending new patient treatments with the exception of emergency services for select patients. By the end of March, all of the PONS authorized clinics in Canada were effectively closed. We continued to experience this unprecedented level of disruption throughout April and most of May as clinics remained effectively closed. During the period, patients who had completed their two-week in-clinic portion of the PONS treatment program prior to COVID-19 shutdown were able to continue with the 12-week at-home portion of the treatment with the support of their clinics via virtual means. In late May and throughout the month of June, we were pleased to see clinics begin to reopen after the government policies that had initially impacted them were partially lifted. We estimate approximately half of the PONS authorized clinics had reopened outside uh, to outside uh, non-emergency patients by the end of May, and almost all were reopened by the end of June. However, clinics' productivity had been impacted by the federal and provincial requirements limiting their capacity to 50% of normal services. We believe their overall productivity as, uh, was well below this level in May, uh, in May and June due, the, due to the need to physical distance in clinic and uh, as mandated by the provincial governments for safe reopening. Clinics also cited challenges relating to staffing as well as patients' willingness to come into clinic for treatment, especially for patients who from, uh, whom, uh, for whom COVID represents a higher risk due to their age and existing health condition. With these factors in mind, despite the recent trends in clinic reopenings, we believe we remain at the very early days of recovery with respect to the patient's treatment part. So with our ability to treat patients significantly curtailed in Q2, we focused our, on engaging with new neuroclinics to increase our access and capacity for when things open up more fully. As a reminder, we began 2020 with an enhanced commercial strategy to drive awareness, credibility, and access to our PONS treatment in Canada. And our commercial strategy included improving our targeting, of, targeting criteria for the clinics that we engage and authorize. This targeting criteria prioritized clinics with large existing commercial focus on neurorehabilitation, established referral networks with public hospital systems for the treatment of patients with neurological conditions, and significant reimbursement experience and payer relationships related to the neurorehabilitation neuro treatments. Under this enhanced commercial strategy, our internal team in Canada made impressive progress during the first quarter by doubling our Canadian clinic network from seven to 14 clinic lo locations. Since uh, necessity is the mother of invention and the Canadian team could not visit new clinic locations during the pandemic, they reached out virtually to top-tier neurological clinics and made the compelling case for clinics to join the ranks of the PONS authorized Canadian clinics based on the huge opportunity of our new MS indication in Canada. 
Our team then developed a virtual authorization process so that we can continue to increase our clinic capacity despite the COVID-19 disruption. As a result of these, of these efforts, during the quarter, we authorized another five clinics for a total of 19 clinics now authorized in Canada. We believe this expanded clinic network positions us well for the future and will help us continue to increase the pace of adoption of our PONS treatment in Canada as the effects of COVID-19 pandemic subside. So in summary, Q2 was undoubtedly a very challenging quarter uh, with respect to revenue. We did, however, achieve important progress in the pursuit of our U.S. regulatory clearance and continue to build access, credibility, and awareness for our PONS treatment through our Canadian operations. We did so while raising additional capital and maintaining strict financial discipline in order to continue to support our pursuit of these activities. I'll provide you with an update on our near-term and longer-term outlook later on today's call, but first let me turn it over to Joyce for a detailed review of our second quarter financial results. Joyce? Thank you, Phil. We reported total revenue of $133,000 for the second quarter of 2020 compared to $518,000 prior year period. Product sales represented approximately 95% of total revenue in the second quarter of 2020, compared to 91% of total revenue in the second quarter of 2019. Both pro product sales in both periods were generated through sales of the PONS devices and mouthpieces to PONS-authorized neuroplasticity clinics in Canada. As Phil mentioned, our operational and financial results in the second quarter were significantly impacted due to the disruption caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, including the closure and reduced productivity of PONS authorized clinic locations across Canada. During the second quarter of 2020, our product sales benefited from a large order from one of our clinics during the months of June, along with payments received from existing clinic patients under the revised pricing model that we implemented at the beginning of this year, which is designed to reduce upfront patient costs. Our gross profit for the second quarter 2020 was $69,000 compared to $306,000 in the prior year period. Operating expenses for the second quarter of 2020 decreased $2.3 million or 38% year-over-year to $3.8 million, reflecting the continued benefits of the cost reduction initiatives that we implemented during the past year. By line item, the change in operating expenses was driven by selling general and administrative expenses, which decreased $1.5 million or 38% year-over-year, and research and development expenses, which decreased $1 million or 43% year-over-year. The decrease in SG&A expenses was primarily due to reduced commercial operations expense associated with the U.S. launch planning activities that were terminated following the FDA denial in the second quarter of 2019 and reduced wages and salaries due to lower headcount. The decrease in research and development expenses was primarily due to lower medical affairs expenses as well as reduced product development costs due to the completion of the PONS device development in 2019. Operating loss for the second quarter of 2020 was $3.7 million compared to $5.8 million for the prior year period. Total other and income for the second quarter of 2020 was $361,000 compared to $5.6 million in the second quarter of 2019. The year-over-year -year change in total other income and expense 
was primarily driven by the change in the fair value of derivative financial instruments, which was a gain of $1,000 in the second quarter of 2020, compared to a gain of $5.5 million in the second quarter of 2019. The change in fair value of the company's derivative financial instruments was primarily attributable to the change in the company's stock price, volatility, and the number of derivative financial instruments being measured during the period. For the second quarter of 2020, we reported a net loss of $3.4 million, or $0.08 cents per basic and diluted common share, compared to a net loss of $186,000, or $0.01 cent per basic and diluted common share for the second quarter of 2019. Turning to a discussion of our balance sheet condition and recent financing activities. As of June 30, 2020, we had $5.3 million of cash, compared to 5.5 million at December 31st, 2019. We had no outstanding debt obligations in either period. The decrease in cash during the first six months of 2020 was primarily driven by net cash used in operating activities of $7 million and net cash used in investing activities of $51,000, partially offset by 6.7 million of cash provided by financing activities. Net cash provided by financing activities during the six months ended June 30, 2020, included proceeds from the following activities. During the period, we sold and issued 8.1 million shares of common stock under our ATM agreement at an average price of 62 cents per share, which resulted in net proceeds of $4.8 million. On March 20th, we raised net proceeds of approximately 1.9 million from a registered direct offering and concurrent private placement of warrants. We continue to evaluate multiple options to secure additional capital and strengthen our balance sheet and support our operations. On April 13th, the company was granted a $323,000 loan under the Paycheck Protection Program established under the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARES Act of 2020. The company planned to use the proceeds from the PPP loan for covered payroll costs, rent, and utilities in accordance with the relevant terms and conditions of the CARES Act. Based upon subsequent guidance issued by the federal government, including a presumption that no publicly traded companies are eligible for the APPP loan, the company returns the PPP loan proceeds in May. Turning to our 2020 guidance, given the uncertainties associated with the COVID-19 pandemic, we are not providing any updated financial outlook for the full year 2020 at this time. Like many of the companies in the medical device industry, we are currently not able to estimate the duration and impact of COVID-19 on our operations and financial results at this time. With that, I'll turn the call back to you, Phil. Phil? Thank you, Joyce. So as Joyce just, uh, just mentioned, uh, the duration and impact of COVID-19 on our performance uh, remains uncertain, and that's uh, very, very frustrating. Given the uncertainty, uh, we're continuing to monitor our business trends and, and, uh, and to obtain feedback from our clinic customers to assess the ongoing impact of the pandemic. And while it's not our typical practice to provide details on current quarter trends, we appreciate the investment community's focus on how companies are faring in this time. So in the interest of transparency, we felt it would be appropriate to provide an updated view on uh, what we've seen in the recent weeks. 
By the end of July, we were pleased to see that all of the PONS authorized clinics had in fact reopened to outside non-emergency patients. But despite this positive trend, however, clinics continue to be impacted by the federal and provincial requirements limiting their capacity to 50% of normal services, so that didn't change. Their overall productivity remains below level uh, to the, due to the factors that I, uh, that I just mentioned. While the level of productivity varies from clinic to clinic, at present we estimate that the average clinic across our network is operating at about 30% capacity. With this as a backdrop, we believe we continue to remain in the very early days of recovery and unlikely to see material improvements in business trends uh, until the federal and provincial requirements are lifted and the, uh, the clinic productivity increases. While our outlook in the near term remains uncertain, we're incredibly proud of the performance of both our regulatory and commercial teams in their ability to execute our regulatory strategy and to pivot quickly in Canada in response to the challenging circumstances, ultimately to do everything we can to position the company for success in the future. As we enter the second half of 2020, we remain focused on continuing to pursue our commercial and regulatory strategies as efficiently and effectively as possible for the benefit of both our patients and shareholders. Most importantly, we remain convinced that our PONS technology represents a truly revolutionary approach to the treatment of neurological disease and trauma with the ability to improve the lives of patients suffering from the effects of MS, TBI, and possibly other conditions in the future. What's particularly exciting is research of neuromodulating, neuromodulation effects through electrical stimulation of the surface of the tongue continues to significantly progress. The cascade of neuromodulation of trigeminal nerve activity may enable changes to the brain which continue to show promise in treating other kinds of neurological conditions. This work produced through clinical studies sponsored by Helios and through independent research has been submitted for publication and after peer review would potentially illuminate the true breadth of our PONS technology. So we look forward to those publications. Before we open up the call to questions, I'd like to close by thanking our employees for their important contributions to our recent progress, our customers, and of course our shareholders for their support, and everyone on tonight's call for your interest in Helios Medical Technologies. Joyce and I are happy to take questions from, uh, from the phone. Thank you. If you'd like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone, please make sure that your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. We do ask that you limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. If you would like to ask additional questions, we invite you to add yourself to the queue again by pressing star 1. We will now take a moment to allow participants to join the queue. Our first question comes from Stephen Lickman with Oppenheimer & Company. Please state your question. Good evening, Thank Steve. you. Hi, Phil. Hi, Joyce. Um, Thanks, Steve. So just um, on the Canadian uh, centers that you have open, you know, obviously the volumes today, you know, uh, are, are not reflective of what they could be, but just trying to get a, a sense of the size of the clinics you're in and what, what sort of the patient run rate you think those centers uh, that you're in have on a monthly or annual basis? Just trying to get a sense of the, you know, the size of, of centers that you're currently in. Yeah. So, um, Steve, uh, these uh, these clinics are, are all uh, private neurological clinics. Um, so, as we mentioned, we pivoted in uh, uh, 
uh, in the late fall and January to really focus on, on these kinds of clinics. Uh, and uh, they're of varying size, and we really uh, focus on these uh, on these clinics uh, to uh, uh, to give access in specific parts of the country. And we really focused on developing the network in uh, in southern Ontario uh, to be able to give access. Uh, so I'd, I'd, I'd literally have to go through every clinic to uh, to give you the details on on where they go. The biggest issue uh, that uh, that the clinics are having, and uh, and they're obviously chomping at the bit to uh, to get back to uh, to full business. Uh, is uh, you can imagine that PT clinics uh, are, you know, by design uh, P, uh, clinics that are providing uh, services where people are working hard and breathing hard, uh, and it's difficult for them to, uh, to to do it while wearing masks. So, uh, you know, the the the, the kinds of uh, the kinds of things are very very difficult. So uh, so uh, that combined with the uh, the difficulty of uh, of patients, uh, especially MS patients who are uh, if they're uh, on drug therapy immunocompromised. Uh, they uh, they sort of have a reluctance to, to be able to go in. Having said all of that, uh, what uh, what we're trying to do in working with them is to try to uh, build uh, tools uh, for them to be able to do this uh, remotely. Uh, as I mentioned on the call, uh, we uh, were trying uh, we were able to uh, move our authorization process to a full virtual, and we're uh, trying to see uh, whether elements of that program could be uh, could be put in to be able to increase uh, the capacity for uh, for patients. Uh, so uh, right now, uh, they're, uh, they're, uh, everybody is trying to find a way to, uh, to, to drive uh, the, the patient count, uh, and, uh, and we're just trying to, to reconcile you know, uh, what's, uh, what's happening on the ground. Uh, I'm, in fact, uh, in Canada right now, and uh, we'll have the, the, the benefit of uh, I'll be in the Toronto area tomorrow, and, uh, and we'll actually be uh, visiting several of our clinics. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, perhaps we could uh, touch base next week, and, and I can give you a, a much, you know, firsthand uh, look at uh, what's actually happening. Uh, all of this, of course, is based on, on the aggregate reporting we're getting from our team. Thanks, Phil. And uh, just on FDA, about when do you think you'll kind of hear back on on the the first review here, um, and will you alert that alert investors for of that or 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 no? Yeah. So the the first review is really uh, an administrative review, uh, and um, FDA has their own tick sheet. And of course, we've worked with very sophisticated attorneys uh, to help us uh, prepare this. And I assure you that from an administrative standpoint, every element of the uh, uh, of the requirement for the the de novo submission uh, has been completed. Uh, so uh, you know we were able to tick off the same sheet. So we fully expect that uh, that th this is going to be a a, a formality. Uh, and uh, very often, in fact, in our TBI um, uh, work, uh, FDA didn't even notify that they would uh, go going forward. So so this first step is is really an administrative one. And uh, and you can be sure, uh, Steve, uh, that uh, we'll uh, obviously report on any any material uh, feedback that uh, that FDA uh, gives us one way or the other. And uh, and certainly from my perspective, I hope the the next feedback we give you is a clearance. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And and then uh, Phil and, and Joyce, just lastly on the um, 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 the state of the balance sheet, can you could give us some thoughts as to Cash burn in the back back half. I mean, just directionally, perhaps from from the uh, from second quarter levels. Yeah. So, so we had previously communicated, Steve, about 1.2 million a month was uh, our expected burn. Um, we have been able to identify opportunities to uh, further reduce that burn, and, and we're looking like uh, closer to about a million dollars a month is where we're coming out. 
Thanks. It was helpful. Thank you, guys. You no bet. Problem. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Our next question comes from Ben Haynor with Alliance Global Partners. Please state your question. Good evening, Ben. Good afternoon, guys. Uh, how are you? Really good. Excellent. Thanks, Paul. Uh, congrats on uh, the submission to the FDA and, uh, you know, nicely done on getting five clinics uh, during a uh, you know, pretty rough quarter. Uh, just kind of curious on on the five clinics that, that you added, how quickly do they start treating patients? You mentioned that uh, uh, these, these clinics are chomping at the bit to get going and, and ramp uh uh, capacity back up, but uh, where would you kind of, uh, or how would you kind of characterize their uh, enthusiasm for for getting into their first uh, on treatments? Sure. Uh, so look, uh, the the clinics, uh, you know, neurological clinics, uh, neuro neurological conditions are are, are a real uh, a real pain to treat. Uh, these poor patients, uh, for the most part, are fighting an uphill battle. And it's pretty rare uh, that uh, physical therapists ultimately uh, fight a winning battle in that most of the, the care that these clinics are giving these patients are, let me manage uh, and try to slow down your decline. Uh, so our data shows, uh, and, uh, and this is what has them excited, our data shows that we're able to reverse uh, the decline that uh, patients are seeing in their, in their gait quality. Uh, so, uh, so as the team is reaching out to these uh, to these top tier neurological clinics, uh, obviously uh, they they want to review the data. We're able to show them the data, and so they're excited by the opportunity to craft uh, to apply their craft, and actually uh, help patients actually get better. Uh, and uh, and it's uh, in you know every now and then uh, for those of you who are out there, just visit the website. It's it's just so uh, uh, Canada, uh, Canada.ca. Uh, I'm sorry, pawnstreatment.ca, uh, because we'll show you. You can see some anecdotes there, and, and you'll you'll sort of uh, figure why they the, the, they're excited about this. Uh, also, rest assured that uh, they don't jump into this um, lightly. Uh, they uh, they review the the data. Uh, they seek uh, advice from uh, their referral physicians, and that's why our team is uh, is doing everything they can in the sort of the virtual world to. Uh, uh, to drive that uh, that awareness and uh, and to drive the patient. So once uh, we're able to sort of close all of those loops, uh, the clinics say, "Wow, you know, I'm in. I I want to do this." Uh, so as I said, uh, we were able to diver uh, to uh, design a a virtual uh, training program. Uh, it used to be that uh, we had uh, we used to spend a day uh, a day in clinic doing all of the the PONS training and uh, and authorization process. Now we do that uh, completely virtually. Um, and uh, and so once they uh, they get treated, uh, once they uh, they get authorized, uh, then uh, they uh, they start reaching out to uh, to their uh, to their uh, to their patients, um, and uh, and you know let me give you a, a very tangible example. So let's say a clinic has three treatment rooms, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so they are able to treat, and, and the normal treatment is uh, is treating patients roughly every half hour. Just let's uh, doing that. So they were treat they would be treating. Uh, uh, three patients a uh, half hour, so six patients an hour, uh, eight hours, uh, you know, about 50 patients a day. What uh, the new reality for them is at 50% capacity, those three, uh, those three rooms uh, become, or those three spaces becomes, you know, one and a half space uh, per hour. 
so it's it's extremely curtailed, uh, and so they're trying to find a way to uh, to uh, select the kinds of patients that are going into clinics, uh, select the kinds of, uh, uh, and you know we we certainly encourage them that Pond's patients are sort of uh, uh, a nice patient to target because ultimately their treatment is an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. It's the same patient, so uh, uh, so it's uh, so it's uh, perhaps easy for for them to fit. Um, and so there's uh, there's no lack of desire uh, to, uh, to to join the the list of authorized clinics, uh, and uh, and certainly as their outreach uh, continues, um, it's just uh, the physical limitations of uh, of being able to do this uh, and do this safely um, is uh, is the is the biggest deal. And sorry for the long-winded answer there, uh, Ben, but uh, I, I just wanted to make sure that uh, everybody on the phone sort of got a flavor for tangibly what's happening out there. No, I mean, that color is very helpful, and, and, you know, it obviously makes a lot of sense when you think about it. So it sounds like definitely the interest level is there. Um, do you have a sense, though, of, you know, if if people if these clinics are at 30% capacity right now, you know, do they need to be at 70% of capacity before you really start, or, you know, X, what's the X percent capacity where you really start, yep. or you really think you start seeing patients pull through for, for yeah so treatment. so uh, it's a, it's a great question so uh i think that uh uh, just to give you a little more color on the the Canadian reopening uh, strategy for the for the country, um, basically as of last week, I think last Thursday was there was one more district in Toronto that was still in phase two. Uh, now the whole country is in phase three, uh, and phase three is the permanent new normal. Uh, until there's a vaccine uh, or a significant treatment, uh, this is what the future looks like uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, so, uh, so uh, these restrictions uh, are going to be in place for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, what we're hoping is that, uh, as like everything in life, uh, as time goes by, uh, you you start to get, uh, you know, as I said, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, there, are, there is a lot of interest in uh, in, uh, in in our treatment, so we we hope to think that uh, even with those restrictions, we'll be able to get uh, patients through. But the reality is that uh, uh, that uh, this is going to be a difficult climate until uh, until something uh, happens with respect to the treatment front of COVID. Okay, that's helpful. Well, thanks for taking the questions, guys, and uh, keep up the good work. All right, thank you, Ben. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from Randy Haig. Please state your question. Hey, Randy. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Um, just a couple quick questions. Um, the first is, can you give us an idea of how many shares are currently outstanding on a fully diluted basis? Uh, on a fully diluted basis, that, that number is uh, roughly 58 million. Okay, that's what I thought. All right. And how many warrants are currently outstanding? And what's the strike on the warrants? Um, I do have that. So the 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 strike on um, on the warrants is um, hold on one second. I do have that information. It's not forty six cents. Awesome. I think it's forty six cents. Yeah. Um, the, the, actually, there's the the earlier warrants still that are much higher than that. That's why I was just going for that sheet. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. While you're getting that, why don't I ask Phil a quick question? Phil, sure. um, <laughs> it, it's great that we've you know got our application you know, and the clock is ticking on that. So mm -hmm. it'd be great to, because this is kind of a a priority fast track situation, is there mm -hmm. any type of historical things we can look at at the time it, this should take from what would be the short end to the long end? I mean, 
sure. you know, we're we're burning a million two a month. Obviously, mm-hmm. every month is you know, if you equate that to number of shares in the dilution, it's significant. Yep. So, getting to that point as quickly as possible, obviously, is beneficial to all of us as shareholders. Just yep. wondering, kind of, what the what the long, short, middle range of that? What is your expectation level? Sure. Uh, well, the expectations are really based on the, the guidance uh, by by FDA, and so I'll I'll be able to to use their their own words. Uh, the de novo process is a 150-day process for 60% of the um, uh, of the the files that they review. So that's their goal. Uh, and in FDA's own words, uh, they, as I, I said in my sort of prepared remarks, uh, they commit uh, to trying to expedite uh, breakthrough designation products. Um, there's no definition of what expedite means, uh, though, Randy. Uh, so it's uh, it's really difficult to evaluate. And uh, as you could uh, imagine, uh, your question we ask uh, to our attorneys all the time, and, and they're giving us they give us the same answer that I'm giving you now, is that it really depends on the uh, the individual um, uh, the individual submission. Uh, but uh, you know we're hopeful uh, that uh, that within that 150 day period uh, we're uh, we're going to be able to uh, to go through the process. Yeah, it seems like they're already familiar with you know the application. Yep. Um, with for TBI, and you'd think that they would not need nearly that amount of time, but you know that's never we've never had those kind of breaks in the past. <laughs> I guess we I'd like to think to... that we're going to get a break at some point here, Andy. Yeah, I mean, at some point, it seems like you know maybe we'll get a break. I guess my next question, if I if you don't mind, if I ask one quick question, um, you know. Eat- Obviously, with what's happened with Canada, you know, it's not like, you know, we're going to, you know, if if we do get the clearance, like we can declare victory here. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems like there's a lot of work that that will go into, you know, once it's cleared to start attracting customers, you know, worrying about, you know, the reimbursability of the product because it is a very expensive product. Yep. And, you know, how that will play out. I mean, listen, we're all. You know, the, the end result is always what we're looking at is the is the stock price, and a yep. lot of us have been holding for years and years, and mm-hmm. we're in at a very high, you know, average cost. And mm-hmm. now we we're here, and we've got this application filed, and we're trying to determine, you know, do we do we buy more shares, and will the stock keep drifting lower as time you know goes on over the months while we wait? Because really, there should be no, there really shouldn't be any significant news coming out of the company until you know we hear more about the clearance. Um, well, I uh, look. I think uh, we, we're uh, we're as I mentioned again in my prepared remarks, uh, we we are continuing uh, to do science, uh, and there is an enormous amount of interest uh, in uh, in uh, in our product. Uh, so we're we're uh, we're trying to uh, to work with uh, with uh, hospital systems. Uh, to do uh, further research, uh, and the research is exciting, and uh, and uh, and certainly when uh, uh, some of that research is uh, is uh, is about to be published, uh, obviously I, I can't uh, mention what it is until it is, uh, but uh, but we uh, we you know we we do expect that we'll uh, we'll be able to uh, to further the, uh, the uh, further the science uh, for uh, for the uh, the investment community. So we do expect that there'll be some uh, uh, some uh, some news, uh, you know, obviously. Uh, uh, some, sometimes the news uh, generates uh, upside, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but uh, but we'll certainly uh, th- this is not the only thing that we got going. To answer your other question in terms of the U.S. commercial.
commercialization is uh, we, we've uh, already started to use it. And it's, it's just a, a really hard juxtaposition for the two positions that you said. You know, on the one hand, uh, you know, in a perfect world, we'd love to, uh, to be able to start driving uh, our U.S. Uh, our U.S. Uh, commercialization effort, uh, but uh, we're in a position where we want to really make sure that uh, we uh, we do right. And uh, and as Joyce said, we were able to move the 1.2 million down to uh, to a million, and we're trying to we're going to try to do even better than that. Uh, but uh, so that we uh, we you know we do think things responsibly, and, and once things uh, get more clear uh, clearer from uh, from FDA, then then perhaps uh, we'll start to uh, to evolve differently. Um, so that's uh, that's the circumstance that we find ourselves in. Okay. Yeah. All right. Super. Thanks. Uh, Joyce, yep, so uh, did you want to have? Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, uh, Randy's answer. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, in, in response to your other question, so in, in total, there's about 9.3 million warrants out there. Um, there's about 646,000 that uh, expire at uh, December 28th of 2020, and they're at at, at uh, 12 and a quarter. There's about 2.4 million that uh, expire on April of 2021, and they're at 12 and a quarter as well. And uh, the most recent warrants from the registered direct that we did in March um, is about 6.3 million at uh, 46 cents a share. Um, those uh, warrants from the March registered direct, um, the, they can begin to be exercised on September 20th of 2020, um, and they last until March of 2025. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Keep your fingers crossed. We're going to get a break here. Thank you. Just a reminder, to ask a question, press star 1 on your telephone keypad. To remove yourself from the queue, press star 2. Our next question comes from Mary Perrone. Please state your question. Hi. Excuse me if I misunderstood something I thought I heard earlier. Mm -hmm. um, did you say that the cost of the pawns to the user decreased this year? Yes. Joyce, do you want to describe that? Yes. Yes. So so the, the, the cost of the pawns to the user, what we had uh, done is we had uh, put a program in, in place that allowed the uh, patient to um, uh, pay over time. Um, it would allow them to um, uh, put up, uh, since most of the um, benefit you can tell if a patient will be a responder within the first month um, under the program, um, they made an upfront payment for the first month and then um, an evaluation at the four-week mark would uh, determine if they were a responder and uh, they would uh, continue on for the balance of the treatment. Okay, so... For the patient to continue after the initial 14 weeks, that the continuing use of the pawns has not been reduced. The continuing, yeah, the continuing use of the pawns is uh, is uh, essentially uh, renewing uh, the mouthpiece, uh, right. and uh, and so uh, so that uh, uh, that right now uh, is a uh, is a decision that's uh, made by the patient and the doctor and. Uh, uh, and right now, uh, patients uh, between now and the end of September uh, are able to have a, a reduced price uh, of the pawns. And, and since we do, we provide the the, uh, the pawns uh, mouthpieces to the clinics, and uh, obviously in the free market economy, uh, there are different prices that uh, that the the clinics charge. So I can't uh, I can't tell you exactly what it is, but uh, but uh, if. Uh, if you know somebody or somebody who needs to do it, now is a particularly good time to visit the clinics to um, uh, to sign up for uh, for a treatment. Well, actually, besides being a stockholder, I am a Pons user, and I'm ah. in the States, so I went up to BC mm -hmm. last year. And I've been using it, and I expect I'll have to use it the rest of my life, is what mm -hmm. I'm thinking. And it's 
it's not cheap. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. For someone who is has to afford it herself. Yep. And, uh, so yeah, it would be nice if you could reduce the fee considerably. Um, but but I didn't know that each clinic priced it their uh, their own way. I, I wasn't aware of that. They didn't they didn't make me uh, believe that was true. I thought it came from the home office. No, essentially uh, we we uh, like most uh, manufacturers, we just deliver. Uh, they, they buy it from us and then they resell it to uh, uh, to their customers. Okay, well I have more information than I had before. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. Good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. We are currently showing no additional participants in the queue. That does conclude our conference call for today. Thank you all for your participation. You bet. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.